historical event. So bear with me as I read this. <clears throat> the Magha Puja Day is the annual celebration of the Buddhists held on the full moon day of the third lunar month, which is February. Uh, in the Buddhist uh, countries in Thailand, the ceremony of Magha Puja is performed to emphasize the significance of the Maga month. So this is, uh, this is what, actually the name of this period called Maga. It was the period in which the Buddha constituted the main code of his instructions and which is universally regarded as the heart of Buddhist teaching. The historical events preceding this period must be reviewed briefly. The Buddha delivered his first discourse in the fi uh, to the five ascetics, namely Anya Kundanya, Vapa, Padya, Mahanama, and Asadi, who, when they heard the enlightened one, were ordained becoming the five noble disciples. The Buddha then made a retreat at Isipatana in the deer park near Benares. And there he ordained Yasa, the son of an influential family who had approached the Buddha and had received instructions on the discourse concerning the fivefold principles, namely generosity, morality, happy life, renunciation, and the benefits of ordination. And he took as his refuge the Buddha and the Dhamma and the Sangha. Thus he entered into the monastic life. The order now increased to 60 in number. The Buddha urged the monks to journey in different directions and places uh, to disseminate the law of the truth. Hence, the first Buddhist mission began, and the teaching of the Awakened One has since spread to many people in many lands. The Buddha himself went to preach at Rajagaha, the capital at Magadha State, and there three ascetics regarded as great teachers became Buddhist monks together with their disciples, uh, the reported number being 1,000. Uh, Bimbisara, the king of that state, became a Buddhist, taking the triple gem as his spiritual guide and supporting the Buddha's mission. 
And the king gave as a residence for the Buddha and his order a quiet and suitable place called Welawana, Vihara, called, uh, translated as the Bamboo Grove. And this was the first Buddhist temple. Here many thousands of the citizens became Buddhists. And during the, the period when the Buddha was staying in Welawana Vihara, a certain incident took place on the full moon day of the third lunar month. The bhikkhus, about 1,250 in number, who had been ordained by the Buddha himself, and since then engaged in missionary activities, returned without prior notice to, uh, to the great teacher to question him further about his teaching. Thus took place the great assembly of all the holy ones at Velawana Vihara, where Buddha delivered the discourse on the uh, main code of his teaching, which can be summarized as thus. So this is translation of what they call the Ovada Patimoka. And so this is, this is what he taught, 1,250 arahants. Patience, that is to say forbearance, is considered the superior endeavor. All the Buddhas speak of Nibbana as the highest goal. A bhikkhu who still does harm and violence to others is not a recluse at all. Uh, do no evil, do whatever is good, purify the mind. This is the teaching of the Buddhas. Non-abuse, harmlessness, restraint through the disciplinary code, this is the teaching of all the Buddhas. So that they call the Uwada Patimoka. So I've often contemplated if you've got one thousand, they're supposed to be, usually it's called, here they, in this summary, they call it bhikkhus, but usually they're referred to as all arahants, perfectly enlightened ones, 1,250 arahants, assembled without uh, any prior arrangements. There are no emails or faxes or anything like telephones. Psychic, maybe, psychic abilities. But anyway, the, and then the Buddha delivered this Owada Patimoka, which is uh, a very simple teaching. Patience is the greatest endeavor. And so, like forbearance. And as you know, in this life, it uh, the development of patience, uh, being able to endure uh, the negative states, the, the conditioned realm. Uh, usually, you know, if we don't have patience, then we, we can't really get anywhere. We just uh, end up running around trying to, uh, as soon as we feel impatient, we move on to something else. So the, uh, this was my, this was what Ajahn Chah encouraged me in the first year that I was with him. And I said, develop patience, uh, kantibharami, and endurance. And so this was, uh, this was actually very good advice because uh, I wasn't very patient. I'm not, I'm not from a, society that encourages patience with the, the instant. We want 
instant results. Don't want to have to wait very long. And so um, American society is is the you know fast food culture, instant coffee, and everything. And now we've got computers and everything where we we just you know we just press buttons and we we can generally hopefully get what we want as quickly as possible having to wait for it is unbearable and when our computers break down we we go into a kind of rage this was not a problem at the time of the buddha as there were no computers but um, just to contemplate the forbearance, patience, just being patient with yourself, mainly that's, that's the, the, uh, where we need to really develop that sense of patient endurance with our own uh, thoughts, memories, habits. And patience is, is willing, you know, as a it's a kind of surrender, a willing to allow something, to bear with something uh, that we don't like or don't want. You don't need patience when you're happy, do you? And everything is just wonderful. But patience is necessary for, for the other side of life, the, the unpleasant, the unwanted, the painful, the negative, the uh, the changing world that we experience. So, kanti barmi or patient endurance is the great endeavor, and see that's the that's one of the uh, important. Uh, means to develop in the holy life is being patient. You don't, if you aren't patient, you can't, you won't be able to, to uh, understand. You be, you can develop a kind of intellectual grasp, and that's about the best you can hope for, which is, is still uh, not developing patience. endurance because the, the mind will say I can't bear it I can't stand it it's too much <coughs> and when we have any discomfort pain or unpleasant mental state or difficult complicated unwanted situation and it's too much can't stand it and but we can I mean this is the thing the mind will say one thing but we can't trust that because it, it has its limitation. It's a habit, you know, kind of habit we've developed. We, could, we have our pain threshold or our endurance threshold at a certain level and then, then we think, oh, this is too much for me, I can't stand it. And, and if we believe that, then we keep reinforcing that limitation. But most of us can stand much more than we think we can. So, uh, you know, I've, I've determined never to believe what my mind says. My conditioned mind is 
condition. You know, it's it's it it's a it's a habit formation. So it'll say all kinds of things that aren't true. So this uh, really recognizing that what conditioning is—the views, the opinions, the the sense of yourself, your your abilities or lack of abilities. Uh, all of this is conditioned uh, phenomena that that we need that we can be patient with, reflect on, not try to uh, you know not try to get rid of impatience, but the impatience, impulsiveness that we that we do experience. That's where we need the endurance is necessary to endure through what we think we can't endure. And then Nibbana as the highest goal. So when we, like when we take the Vapacha, uh, Upasampada, this is the, uh, the whole endeavor is towards the realization of Nibbana. And this is the whole, I mean, this is at the end of the um, ceremony. Then I, I recite in Pali that the Nibbana is the, is the goal of all this. You know, it's not to become anything or attain anything, but to realize Nibbana. So the, the monastic form is, is a, Convention, whose sole purpose, sole aim is for realization rather than for becoming anything. And uh, therefore, in the, you know, to develop the convention, the convention is limited. You know, it's only a convention. So, if you just, you know, identify with that, and. Uh, fiddle around with a convention, you, you know, you never get, you, you forget what it's pointing at. You know, you, you end up looking at the finger, not at the moon. So the convention is like the finger, and it? it's pointing at Nibbana. <coughs> so this is, this is the, the, even though highest goal is not quite right, I mean in terms of language because language is very dualistic so you've got highest and lowest it always conveys sense of something uh, above you way above you rather than here and now so the highest goal of nibbana isn't some distant uh, state of you know so high that we have to hope hope that we'll attain it or get there in some way but the awakened state, the, the awareness, the awareness itself, it's like, it's that direct, it's a very direct teaching, it's, a, it's nothing more than awakenness in the present. So the highest goal is not something far away, it's immediate, here and now. Santitiko, Akaliko, Ehipasko, Opanaiko, Bajjatang, Vaitida, Poinuhi. 
apparent here and now, timeless, encouraging investigation, leading onwards to be experienced individually by the wise. <coughs> so don't you know, even say by the wise, you might think of yourself not being wise on a personal level. You know, I don't see any, you know, wisdom as, as uh, some kind of personal attainment. But wisdom is, is, isn't something that, you, it isn't that any of you lack wisdom. The problem is, is your identity with ignorance. So, so uh, this is why the emphasis is to, to break through that, to see through that, to, to, to no longer identify with ignorance. So it's not a matter of attaining wisdom, but of letting go, freeing yourself from from ignorance. Then to do good, refrain from doing evil or bad things. So <coughs> this is this is uh, good advice, you know the. We have to live in this society and this on this planet as a as a form, as something that has to eat and sleep and survive in some way or another. So our presence on planet Earth, you know, is uh, can be we you know as we can be very destructive creatures or or greedy. You know, we we can see the kind of problems that modern life is created in terms of pollution and and all kinds of you know complexities that come from ignorance and and uh, you know thinking that that uh, not having any kind of moral uh, integrity but just doing what you feel like or what's convenient or expedient uh, even you know just for for your own ends without concern, consideration for the welfare of others or the society or the planet itself. So this, this you know, to do good, refrain from doing bad things. This is, a, this is about how to live in the world, in, on this planet, in the society, to be and uh, to use your your body and speech for doing good, <coughs> telling the truth, and to refrain from acting, speaking on uh, impulses of wanting to harm or or deceive. Harmlessness, isn't it? Non-evil doing. Compassion, isn't that we we uh, or we can develop compassion as our relationship to to the uh, suffering of the other creatures around us. Purifying the mind, so do good, refrain from doing evil. Purify the mind. What does that mean? What does purifying the mind mean? And so, the, I mean, the word purify is a, you know, what do, how do we purify our minds? 
and uh, what is purity? <coughs> so this is a this is a good reflection. What do we mean when we talk about purity? What is it? You know, and it can be just some kind of abstract ideal. You know, some some kind of rare state or something with with no taints, no stains, no flaws. But purity, say, then isn't something we're we're lacking. Our, you know. Purity is something we have all the time. It's not something that you you lack or you've lost. You, but it's the attachment to impurity that is the problem. So when we're pointing to impurity, uh, this is like ignorance, avicca, and uh, identifying with all that, all the thoughts, emotions, conditions that come out of ignorance. Which is like the the ego, the self, the the habit tendencies, uh, the the physical body itself, um, its energies, uh, so forth. If we identify and um, cling to these these conditions, then we we uh, create ourselves as uh, as flawed as flawed creatures, as impure, as problems, as neurot neurotics, as psychotics, as uh, all, all kinds of different identities that we can assume out of this ignorance. Now, contemplating Sakyaditi or personality, you know, I can't find, I can't see, you know, how anyone could ever purify their personality. <coughs> there's no, my personality, is, there's no, nothing, you know, no way to purify it. It is what it is. And it's, uh, you know, some part of it, some of it's quite all right, some of it's not very good, but even even the best parts are not, you know, there's still limited, uncertain, unstable conditions. So to identify, cling to the the uh, memories, the thoughts, the emotional habits, the physical body itself, and try to purify all that, you'll never succeed because uh, the idea of polishing the brick, trying to make it into a mirror, you know, no matter how many years you spend trying to polish a brick, it will never have that reflective purity of a mirror. Because it's not meant to be. You can't, you know, the, the conditioned realm, its very nature is dukkha or imperfection. It's changing. It's, it's dependent. And so in in contemplating the way things are, that we we recognize it. I mean, we're not to trying to convince ourselves of this, but to see this, to know this through insight, through our investigation. 
I've never found a condition that is pure. Some are better than others, some are refined, some are coarse, whatever, but, uh, you know, there is a kind of ongoing purity. They're all subject to change and to, you know, inevitable cessation. So, the aim for Nibbana, then, is to develop the awareness which is the way to realize what purity is. It's reality, you know, it's not, not something you ever, you've ever lacked, ever lost in any way, no matter how bad you might have been. But <coughs> if you, uh, but we forget, we, we, we delude ourselves through our conditioning, through our blindness. So then the Buddha saying, wake up, pay attention, observe, recognize the way it really is. So in the purity of awareness, then of course the, the uh, in, you know, we have perspective on the conditioned world that we experience. Because in the purity of the conscious awareness is, uh, you know, the still impurities, conditions arise and cease. So it's, it's not, doesn't kind of destroy the conditioned realm, but it puts it in perspective to free us from identity, from attachment to it out of ignorance. So we can then, then how we relate to the conditioned world is, is through the loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, the Brahma Viharas. And it says non harmlessness, you know, our, the way we live, you know, the whole emphasis of Buddhist monasticism is to be harmless. Isn't it that all these Vinaya rules and whatnot is about not harming, intentionally harming anything? Because we can, you know, we're very, you know, on the animal level of existence, survival of the fittest and, and greed, hatred and delusion, harm, harming things is uh, just the, you know, it's the, what we have to do. We have to survive through survival uh, and through, you know, following our instincts. But the awareness is is uh, transcending instinctual behavior, so that we're we're not even bound to instinct. I mean, we have perspective on it, on survival and fear and and procreative drives and things like this. We have the we still experience these, but but uh, from that position, from the awareness, then. We uh, we no longer are lost or taken over or enslaved to those kind of drives. So 
So sometimes when we when we we th- we think about enlightenment or nibbana or uh, purifying the mind, we tend to uh, it easily because when we we try to figure it out with thought, then of course we end up with it being very high state of almost extinction. You have to get rid of all the impurities. You have to, you know, by destroying the impure, annihilating uh, impurity, uh, then we we think we'll attain some kind of purity through annihilation. But that's 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 the logic that comes from attachment to thinking. And, and it's very important to just see the limitation of thinking because it is a, you know, it's a dualistic function. You, know, you start thinking and you have good, then you have bad, you have right, you have wrong. One brings on the other, the day and night, male and female, um, on and on to the endless kind of words, concepts that we have, that we use, that are part of our thinking pattern. You get stuck into the thinking, uh, into thought, and that's what we call a dualism. You create a division. It's divide. You're dividing the experience into, into right and wrong, good and bad. So, the uh, thinking itself. We can be aware of thinking, free ourselves from uh, enslavement to our thoughts, that awareness, awakened attention, stillness, then that allows us to see the, the, uh, the uh, thinking process in its various uh, uh, dualistic forms. So purifying the mind isn't like me, uh, Ajahn Tomato, trying to purify my thoughts or my emotions or things like this, trying to get rid of anger and fear and trying to hold on as desperately to Ideals such as love and compassion, and uh, try you know the, me uh, as this person trying to endlessly kind of control everything. I become you know a control freak. My whole emphasis is trying to hang on to what I approve of and like, and trying to get rid of what I don't. What a, what is uh, what I consider evil or bad, and uh, and that. Uh, just uh, creates even more. That life becomes even more difficult. The more we try to hold on to something and, and get rid of something, you're caught in a in a battle, a continuous, unending war, internal struggling. So the the conditions of modern life, modern politics, international problems, everything is. That's where most, you know, human population tends to be stuck in that kind of warring state, 
and it comes from within us. You know, who can you blame? You know, the, uh, you know, or say they're the cause. It's the ignorance, really, and we can see it within ourselves. The the struggle, the the fear, the anger, the the uh, resistance, the desire to control everything is uh, is from within. And that awareness then, awareness is our ability to recognize this. That that's not what we are. That's that's uh, it is what it is. We're not even judging it because once you start judging it, then it then there's the going back into the dualistic uh, position. You know, oh, that's a bad thought, or that's a evil thought or weak, we, that's a weak or that's a good one, that's a bad one. And we, we can, you know, then we make judgments and, and evaluate ourselves accordingly to how good or bad we, we see ourselves. But in awareness, this isn't a judgmental thing. It's not, they're not discriminating. It's not saying what should or shouldn't be or what's right or wrong, but it is discerning the condition, the nature of conditionality. So what is it that can observe, that can recognize or realize impermanence? Is, uh, is that impermanent? Is that, can I claim that if, uh, on a personal level? If I start claiming it, then I'm back in the dualistic world again. You know, I am the wise one. <laughs> I am the pure one, or things like this. And it's, it's learning to, to no longer feel a need to proclaim or identify or define yourself with anything at all, with any concept. But in this recognition or realizing of this natural state of awareness the p and it's pure if you if you want to you know if you want to describe it because it isn't separative it doesn't it doesn't emphasize me uh, uh, and you it doesn't prefer doesn't uh like or dislike. It's intelligent. It's pure. White wisdom. So, but it's not, not some kind of personal quality that, that I've developed or attained or haven't. I know this is quite baffling for people because it's so against the whole... Uh, cultural conditioning that we have, you know, it's like uh, it's going against the, the, uh, all the assumptions and beliefs and opinions and views that we hold in, from our culture, uh, from our education, from rational thought, reasonableness, logic, all the things that in human terms we kind of hold up as attainment.
So, like for the monastics, really see that 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 the form, the convention itself, is a is is to be used for relinquishing, for letting go. You know, it's not an attainment. It's not a. It's not meant to put us on some kind of special privileged position. Uh, it's not meant to be an identity. You know, so that we're we're attached <coughs> to our position or identity through through the monastic convention. It's, it's certainly easy to do, and it's quite you know out of ignorance we do that. But the, yeah, that's a misuse of the of the convention itself. Not meant for attachment, but for uh, it's a pointer. It's a directional sign. But it's not, you know, pointing at itself. It's merely an expedient means uh, to help us to benefit, to give us that that the kind of emphasis. Keep. Keep the directing your attention towards, uh, you know, awareness, awakeness, rather than towards becoming and attaining, or trying to control or get rid of or manipulate conditions. So, in uh, we'll celebrate this with a circumambulation, say at uh, ten o'clock, meeting here, and this uh, this 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 uh, custom uh, will. Circumambulate in the cloister due to the cold weather. Uh, we've got a cloister now to use, and uh, this is uh, the ceremony. But uh, also, you know, it's uh, our ceremonies, our chanting. All of this is, uh, you know, is. For encouragement, for awareness, not for, you know, it's not meant to convey some kind of special powers you get through doing it. But how do you know, like this, this convention of circumambulation is, uh, is an act of, can be an act of devotion, of gratitude, of reflection. It's up to you how you want to uh, hold this ceremony. You know, you've got the choice whether you want to use it for awareness or just do it because everyone else is doing it or or dismiss it as a bunch of superstitious rubbish or I mean it's up to you how you want to regard it. But uh, personally I find you know the conventions like like um, ceremonies, chanting and that they're quite beautiful in themselves if you you know if you if you use them with awareness 
beautiful actions in the world, uh, forms to better than you know thinking spending the time sitting here what a bunch of rubbish and so you you, you know if you sit in here while we're all walking uh, you know around three times and then what, what a bunch of rubbish ceremonies rites and rituals superstitions the Buddha didn't teach that then that that isn't very uh, if you really look at that that's not a very peaceful mental state is it <coughs> or you know, like we have relics in the on the shrine here, the in that reliquary in the middle, Buddha relics. So some people say, how could they be Buddha relics? And Buddha relics everywhere. You know, that was two thousand five hundred forty-seven years ago, and it's supposed to be one of these bones or what? And, you know, and. Uh, you know, you look, you go into to Sri Lanka and to Kandy and the Temple of the Tooth. They got the Buddha's tooth there, and it's about that big. 